Okay. Uh, Purim. Purim is the day that we look at, generally speaking, as a day of uh, fun and, uh, and food and friends and all those, all those, uh, all those good things. But like all Yom Kippur, there's there's an inner dimension to Purim that even more so than other Yom Tovim can be very easily overlooked. Uh, Purim is only one day, it's a weekday, so it's, it's sometimes it can be hard to really um, focus in on what the Yom Tov is all about, especially since we keep ourselves so busy on the day. So on the surface, Purim would seem to be a day of thanking Hashem and uh, spreading good cheer to others. But we have a Kabbalah from the Arizal, and the Volnagon talks about this in a few places, that the day of Purim is much more intense than we imagine. Yom Kippur is really called in the Torah Yom Kippurim. And the Arizal says that Yom Kippurim means, which is generally you know, the Day of Atonement, whatever, is... Yom, a day, Kippurim. That's like Purim. A Purim-like day. So, that's a little hard to swallow. First of all, in what way are Purim and Yom Kippur alike? If anything, they would seem to be almost polar opposites. Purim is a day of, uh, we eat, we drink, those are the mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are eating and drinking. And, and, uh, and having a good time and Yom Kippur uh, there's no mitzvah not to have a good time but it would seem to be you know, inappropriate to have a really good time on, on, uh, on Yom Kippur and it's certainly a time that we don't eat and drink if you think about what Darizal is saying even, even more he says that Yom Kippur is a Yom Kippurim a day like Purim when you compare two things to each other and you say that this is like that so you usually say something that is not quite up to that level is like that other thing. It's not exactly that thing, but it's like it. Mara says that we always compare the cotton, we compare the thing that's smaller to the gadol, to the thing that's bigger. So that means that when we say that Yom Kippur is a Yom Kippurim, so we're saying that the ultimate point of reference for whatever, this, whatever we're talking about is Purim. And Yom Kippur is a day that is almost like Purim, but not quite. So what does this mean? How are we supposed to understand this? That somehow Purim is more intense or more spiritual or a greater Yom Tov than Yom Kippur? I mean, if, if you're dealing with how happy a Yom Tov is, I guess it is. But if you're dealing with what exactly the nature of the day is, what does this mean? How could Purim be greater than Yom Kippur? Chazal tell us that there's another connection between Purim and Yom Kippur. Historically speaking, Yom Kippur was a day of mechil and slich, it was a day of forgiveness, but it was the day that Moshe Rabbeinu also came down with the second luchos. So there was a Kabbalah Torah, there was an acceptance of the Torah that happened on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, Hashem forgave us and He sent us down the second luchos. Gemara tells us that on Purim, there was also a Kabbalah Satorah. 
It says in the Megillah that Kimu Vikiblu Hayyudim, that the Yehudim, the Jews, were Mekayim, they, they kept, and they were Makabal, and they accepted. And the Gemara says, what does that mean? It says, Kimu Mashikiblu Kvar, that they sort of reinvested themselves in what they had been Makabal and what they had accepted upon themselves before. Says, it says the Gemara that they were Makabal the Torah, there was a second Kabbalah Satorah that took place on Purim. So there you have a little connection that Yom Kippur is a day of Kabbalah Satorah, Purim is a day of some sort of Kabbalah Satorah. I mean, there was no Har Sinai, there was no Hashem talking to Klal Yisrael, there was some sort of Kabbalah Satorah, some sort of acceptance of the Torah that happened on Purim. That is a point of connection, but again, what exactly that means is, is a little hard to. to, to figure out, so in what way then is Purim better or higher or greater than Yom Kippur? Now, we talked about, uh, I think at the very beginning of um, when we started learning Sefer Bereshis, we talked about how a lot of times there are things that we get used to that don't necessarily make a lot of sense, but it's just, it's part of, part of just, you know, I guess culturally part of what we do and, and who we are and therefore we, we let things, you know, we, we just you know, let it go. Like, uh, you know, we talked about the, the song Rockabye Baby, right, how we, we, we rock a baby to sleep with a song about a baby plunging to its death. Uh, London Bridge is Falling Down, if you think about that song also, that's also pretty wild, right? There's some lady that gets locked up, no one knows what she did wrong, but some bridges falling down, it's her fault, obviously. So there are things that we do and that, you know, we sing and we say and they don't make any sense to us, but we just do them because we do them. We sing a song on Purim, and it's really, it's a song that you just hear over and over and over again, Shoshanas Yaakov. It's, we say it uh, after the reading of the Megillah at night and during the day, Shoshanas Yaakov, Teholov Esamecha Barosum Yachat Chilas Mordechai. So what that means is that the flower of Yaakov is very happy when they saw together the, uh, the, the blue thread of Mordechai. So why that exactly conjures up a lot of joy and what that has to do with Purim is a little hard to, to imagine. Shoshanas Yaakov. So obviously what that's talking about is it's talking about the Jewish people. And somehow we're compared, uh, there are, I mean, Shoshim are also compared to a lot of times to a Shoshana, to, uh, I guess it's a, some sort of flower, I guess, a rose. So the, the, flower, the, the rose of Yaakov is very happy when they, when they all together saw the Tcheles of Mordechai. So we can ask a few questions over here. Number one is why are we called a flower? What is, what's that all about? Number two is that we're generally, the Jewish people are generally referred to as B'nai Yisrael. We're, we're Yisrael, that's the name that we associate ourselves with. And over here the association is with Yaakov, Shoshan is Yaakov. Generally we're not referred to as the children of, of, of Yaakov. It's always Yisrael is, is, is the word that's being used. And lastly is, what was so great about seeing Mordechai's Techelis? Now, generally Techelis is something that's on his, uh, I guess it could be Titsis, referring to something like Titsis. So somehow Mordechai's Titsis made everybody happy um, and feel like a flower. It's the, the song, right, what we say, what we sing, just seems to, you know, just be beyond our, our understanding. And yet, this is the song that makes us really, really happy. So what's this song talking about? What's this piyut talking about? The story of Purim 
we very often look at as being a, a, a story of a nace, nace or a hidden, hidden miracle, in which there was this very bad guy, Haman, who was out to destroy the Jewish people, and because of the heroine, Esther, who you know, worked up the guts to go into the king, and a few miracles were done, and she basically outsmarted Haman, and was able to turn the tables on him, and instead of uh, the Jews getting killed and Mordechai getting hung, the Amalekim were, uh, were you know, pretty much annihilated, and Haman and his sons were killed. That's the story. Mordechai, in the whole thing, seems to play sort of like a side role. He's sort of like a you know, supporting, supporting actor in the cast, and you know, he's the guy who sort of, sort of helps out Esther, keeps her connected to, to everything that's going on and to everyone else from the outside. And he does this little thing with Big Son and Sarish. That's a couple of Pesukim in the Megillah. But otherwise, he's just like, you know, the, the, the floating rabbi that's around throughout the story. But the story of Purim was really not about that at all. That's the surface of what happened in, in Purim time. Purim is really all about the gzera, the decree that Hashem put on the Jewish people. At the time of uh, Achashverosh's party, which is what the Megillah starts out with, so the Jewish people went to that party where they should not have gone, even though they were told kosher food, kosher wine, everything was kosher, 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 but the atmosphere was far from kosher over there. And they went, participated in the party, and as a result, the Medrash and the Gemara tells us that there was a gezerah against the entire Jewish people to be annihilated. And that's why uh, Haman, at that point, was elevated from his role of just being one of the you know, seven uh, wise men who helped out Achishverosh. So he was elevated at that point to be number two in the kingdom, and he had all this power to make this decree against the Jewish people. What was really happening was not so much what Haman was up to. What was really happening was that what the Jews were up to, or that what the Jews were down to at that point. That the Jewish people had done... Had, had sinned, that they had been assimilating, they had been uh, going to the wrong places and making the wrong decisions, and as a result, they were chayiv, they were chayiv misa, they were, they were, Hashem made a gezera that they would be destroyed. That was the gezera in Shemayim. Mordechai was not just the, you know, the, the uncle slash husband slash whatever relative of Esther. Mordechai was the Godel Hadar. He was the great leader of the generation. He was one of the Anshe Knesset Agadola. And he led the Jewish people in a spiritual revolution. He led them in tefillah. He led them in shuva. He led them in tanis and fasting. And he got the Jewish people to turn themselves around. He convinced them that there was a gezerah against them. He convinced them that it was their fault and it was because of their terrible ways. And he got them to go and do tremendous amount of tshuva to the point where now HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt it appropriate that the Jewish people had redeemed, them, redeemed themselves from that gezera, that decree was no longer fitting for the Jewish people, and now HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to save them through the different things that Esther did. So the story is not so much about what Esther did, and it's not even so much about what uh, Haman did. The story is about what the Jewish people did. The Jewish people sinned, the Jewish people did tshuva, and the Jewish people were forgiven, and as a result, they were saved. 
That's the story of Purim. That's the inside. That's the, that, that's the innards of the story of, 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 uh, of Purim. When they were saved, when they finally realized that they were saved, there was such rejoicing. Not just because they were physically saved, but when they realized what had happened, how all those different series of events had come together to save them, they realized that it was the Yad Hashem, they realized that it was the hand of Hashem through all of that, and they realized that because of their tshuva, Hashem had reconnected to them. That connection that they had severed through their chatom, through their sins, they had been able to recreate through the tshuva that they did. Shoshanis Yaakov. A Shoshana refers to a person or a people who have done tshuva. In Tehillim, in capital uh, Memhei, I think. Yeah, in Memhei. It says that the, that the Bnei Korach are Shoshanam. Lamtech Shoshana Bnei Korach. Why are the Bnei Korach called flowers? So, Mepharshim say, because they did tshuva. The sons of Korach had done tshuva. One who does tshuva is called a flower. Why is that? Chazal say that a Shoshana, so that's why I'm not, I don't like to translate exactly as a rose, but Chazal say that a Shoshana, whatever that flower is, has 13 petals. That's how many petals it has. Someone who does tshuva and gets a kapara from HaKadosh Baruch Hu has utilized the Yud Gimel Midos Rachamim of Hashem. They've approached HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachim Lechanon, etc., and they've therefore been able to do tshuva because Hashem is the Kel Rachim Lechanon. So someone who does tshuva, or people who do tshuva, are called Shoshanim because they have utilized these 13 petals, these 13 midos of, of, uh, of mercy, these 13 attributes of mercy of Hashem, and in doing so, been able to achieve an atonement. So the Jewish people at the time of Purim, they were flowers. But they weren't the flowers that had, the Jewish people had seen before. In the days when the Beis Mikdash was around, and a person, or certainly in the days, of the, you know, the days that we read about in the Torah, when the Kalal Yisrael did tshuva, so then there was a very obvious hashras, hashchina, the shechina came back to Kalal Yisrael, it came back on the Mishkan, it came back on the Beis Mikdash. And the Jewish people were able to see that Hashem had returned to them. At the time of Purim, they didn't have that Hashra Sashchina. They didn't have the Shechina come down in a cloud to them in the middle of Shushan. But they were able to see through the different events that unfolded throughout the story of the Megillah that Hashem had really returned to them. It wasn't as apparent as it had been at the time of the Beis HaMikdash, but it was a Golas Dika return of Hashem to them. So what happened at the time of Purim is that the Jewish people became Shoshanas Yaakov. They became the people who employed tshuva to achieve a kapara, to get atonement. And it was an achievement of atonement that was apparent in a Yaakov. That's the expression of Klal Yisrael, of Yaakov Avinu, in Golos. The expression of us being in Golos is that we are Yaakov's children. So that's Shoshanas Yaakov. Why were they Tzahala V'Samecha? Why were they so happy? Because they saw the Tcheles Mordechai. The Tcheles Mordechai is not referring to the Tzitzis of Mordechai. 
It's referring to at the very end of the Megillah, it says, Mordechai that Mordechai came out from in front of the king, dressed in royal, ro- in royal robes. Techeles, it says that he was wearing Techeles. When Klal Yisrael saw that Techeles, that Mordechai was wearing when he walked out, and Mepharshim say that every time it says the word Melech in the, in the Megillah, it's not just referring to Achashverosh, but it's referring to Akadosh Baruch Hu. So when it says that Mordechai came out from in front of the king, that he was wearing Malchus, means he was wearing Hashuras Hashchina, and he was wearing Techeles, he was wearing that color, he was wearing that, that, that color that reminds Klali Sol of Shemayim, and through that he was, they were able to see from Mordechai's rise to power, from sitting in front of the palace in sack, sackcloth and ashes, and then his rise to power, they were able to see that Mordechai had gone from, you know, from, from bottom to top, and that Klal Yisrael, that was the revelation to them, that Klal Yisrael had been forgiven. And Klal Yisrael now, the Gezerah was off of them. So that's what Purim was. Purim was this time where Klal Yisrael realized that they had done Shuvah, and that although they were still in Golis, Although they were still in a situation in which Hashem wasn't back with them in the base of Mikdash, things weren't as perfect as they had been at the time when the base of Mikdash was, was still, still around, they were able to see that Hashem was with them through the Yad Hashem that escorted them throughout those nine years that the story of the Megillah takes place during. The closeness and simcha that Klal Yisrael felt to Hashem, the closeness that they felt to Hashem, caused them to be remakabal the Torah. It caused them to say, now we're close with Hashem again, we're going to be makabal, right? Be, the, the whole thing started because they had thrown off the Torah. They were remakabal the Torah at this time. Now this Kabbalah Satorah that happened now was different than the original Kabbalah Satorah that had happened. And that's what the Gemara tells us. Shabbat. The Gemara Shabbat says, the famous Gemara that people are, are very familiar with. The Gemara says that it says that by, by Matan Torah, the Jewish people were standing underneath the mountain. It says underneath the mountain. So what does that mean? So the Gemara says teaches us that Hashem took the mountain, picked it up, and held it over them like a gigas, like a barrel. And he said to them, If you receive the Torah, Mutav, good. And if not, you're going to be buried right over here. So Amr of Achabar Yaakov, Achabar Yaakov said, From here, there is a great moda'a about the Torah. What does that mean? A moda'a is, if someone, let's say, someone's, someone's really driving you nuts to write them some sort of uh, court document that would say, for instance, um, I owe you a million dollars. And the guy is hounding you, threatening you. So a person is legally allowed to go in front of a basin and say, listen, I'm going to write that document, but I'm telling you I want to sort of, uh, you know, notarize the fact that whatever I'm going to write to him is not true. I'm just doing it to get him off my back. Then the person can go write that note. And when the other person brings him to base and says, see, this guy owes me a million dollars, 
I can pull out my moda'a, I could pull out this letting, I, it's, it, it means like I let them know, I let Beisdin know, and I could pull out this, either a document or I could pull out those three people and say, listen, I told them before that whatever I wrote over here is meaningless. I was basically forced into it. It's sort of a, like an advanced waiver, yeah. It's saying, whatever I say in the future, it's, just ignore it. Rashi says that what this means, Modor Rabbalah means that if Hashem would take the Jewish people to din, if Hashem would take the Jewish people to judgment and say, hey, lama lo kiyamtem ashikabaltem, why didn't you, why weren't you Makayim? Why didn't you keep that which you were Makabal? You Makabal the Torah. You, kept, you, you accepted the Torah. Why aren't you keeping it? They can answer, Yishlehem Tshuva, you know what they can answer? Shekiblua ba'onas, that we were forced to take it. You said, if we don't accept the Torah, so then that's it, we're, we're buried. So of course we said yes. So it's not that we meant to take it, it's that you forced us to take it. So obviously it didn't mean anything. And if it didn't mean anything, so it's not binding. The Gemara continues. Afal Pikain, even though it's true that the initial acceptance of the Torah had this problem with it, that we were sort of forced into it, they accepted it again at the time of Achashverosh, as it says, the Yehudim were Mekayim and they were Mekabalit, they accepted it. They were Mekayim, they said, now we really accept that which we initially accepted under duress. This is telling us that the initial acceptance of the Torah, there was something not 100% about it that it was done under a little bit of, of, of or a lot of duress. Hashem said, do, do or die. So of course we said do. What else are we going to do? So that Kabbalah Satorah, that wasn't 100%. When at the time of Achashverosh we went and we re-accepted it, that was the real Kabbalah Satorah. That was the real acceptance of the Torah. The Maral explains that when it says that Hashem picked up the mountain and held it over our heads, it doesn't mean that he literally did that. It doesn't mean that, uh, that literally the mountain was over our heads and he basically said, you know, do it or die. But he says what really happened was is that the experience of Maimed Harsinai, the experience of Matan Torah, was so overwhelming. The presence of Hashem was so strong at that, at that time, at that place, that of course we accepted it. We were totally blown, blown away. So we were mindless at that point. Yes, we accepted it. Because when we experienced what we experienced, when Hashem was so readily apparent to us, so of course we said, yeah, we'll do everything you say, always, no matter what. But then when reality set in, it was like, whoa, what happened back there? That was, uh, that, that, that was, pretty, that was pretty wild that we accepted that. At the time of Achashverosh, at the time of Mordechai, at the time of when we re-accepted the Torah that was a re-acceptance that wasn't out of a Yiras Hashem it wasn't out of a fear of Hashem it wasn't out of seeing, being blown away by the presence of Hashem it was out of an Avas Hashem it was out of a love of Hashem at the time of Purim what we were shown was how much Hashem loves us when someone, when someone has a relative who uh, drops into their life you know, once every decade and gives them a million bucks so they like them. Obviously, not going to not invite them back next time. But 
Okay, you know, you have a relationship, you like what you get from them, and that's it. But when someone has someone who guides them, who sweats over them, who pushes them in the right direction, and even though sometimes gets angry at them, and sometimes will punish them, but when they see that that, that, that person is trying to do something for them, is you know, working, working uh, you know, an extra job at night to put their kid through college, so then the person realizes, this isn't per a person who's showing up once in a decade to drop a million dollars on my lap. This is a person who obviously loves me and is working so hard to make sure that everything good comes out for me. What Klal Yisrael saw at the time of Purim was something more than just a one-shot revelation of Hashem. Klal saw you know, a flash of Hashem at uh, Yamsuf, a flash of Hashem at Har Sinai. But then, in a certain way, the way the human mind comprehends it, is that, yeah, he, we saw him, and then he's gone, and then he disappears, then he's not with us anymore. What they saw through the story of Purim was that throughout everything, throughout every step, even though Hashem was very, very much hidden in the background, Hashem was guiding and leading and pushing us in the right direction, and eventually, when we deserved it, he made things work out the proper way for us. That was a sign of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's love for us. And that feeling that Klal Yisrael had, that simcha, and really that ava, that love of Hashem that they felt at that time, was so overwhelming that they said, whatever we did out of Europe before, whatever we did because we were blown away and we were knocked out of our minds, we were knocked off our feet, now we're well settled, we understand that it's out of Hashem's love for us, and we love Hashem, and now we're re-accepting it. So let's think about the connections between Yom Kippur and Purim. Yom Kippur was a day of slich and kapara, a day of forgiveness for the Jewish people. Purim also was a day in which Klal Yisrael found out that they were forgiven when the tables were finally turned, when Haman was hung, when the Yisrael was able to go and defeat Amalek, Mordechai was able to come out the, in place of Haman, Klal Yisrael again saw that, they were, that there was mechila, that there was kapara. Chazal say that there's a halacha, kol haposhet yad nosnim, that there's a halacha on Purim, that whoever sticks out their hand to you, you have to give them. Doesn't matter, you don't, you know, usually you check, you know, ask the guy for his laminated sheet to see whether someone's an ani or not, right? They have to have the right qualifications. But on Purim, someone sticks out their hand, you have to pay them. You have to give them whatever they want. That's the, where the minig of giving kids money is from. Because kids show up at your door, you just give them, give them whatever. We don't ask questions. Chazal tell us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the same policy. That when we're called HaPoshet Yad Nosnim, whoever sticks out their hand, they get it. Kadosh Baruch Hu, on this day of Mechila and Kapara, because that's what it is. It's like Yom Kippur. On this day of Mechila and Kapara, when Klal Yisrael was forgiven and they were shown that forgiveness, in a Golis type of way, but they were shown that forgiveness, Yad, whoever sticks out his hand, knows them, Hashem gives. The Bali Machshava say, the great thinkers say that this is a day, Purim is a day of tefillah. It's a day where people should be focusing on their davening. It's a day like Yom Kippur. You daven on Yom Kippur, whatever you ask for in the Ila time, whatever you ask for, you get. That's what Purim is. You stick out your hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give it. Yom Kippur was a day of Kabbalah Satorah. 
Purim was a day of an even greater type of Kabbalah Sator. Because on Yom Kippur, that Kabbalah Sator that happened Har Sinai time, that was a Kabbalah Sator in which Hashem was so obvious to us, of course we said yes. How could we not? Purim time, did we clearly see Hashem? No, we sensed Hashem. We understood that behind the background, Hashem was making things happen, was maneuvering things. We weren't blown away by Hashem, but we had this very strong sense of Ava. Ava is a greater Mida, it's a greater to love Hashem than to fear Hashem. It's above Europe. We had out of this Ava Hashem, out of this love of Hashem, we went and we were re the Torah, we were the Torah another time. And this is, the Gemara says, the real Kabbalah Satorah. Purim is higher, higher level than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the time where we were Makabal the Torah, was the time of Ayichan Sham Yisrael, Neged Ahar, where Yisrael was encamped together, we were all unified. Purim is a time when we work on our unity. It was Berosam Yachad, Techeles Mordechai. We saw together, we all felt that strong bond between every single Jew. And that's why we have the mitzvahs of Matanas of Yonim and Mishloch Manos, where we connect to one another again and again. Purim is a day of very, very, very intense spirituality. A day of mechila, a day of kapara, a day of forgiveness, and a day of tefillah, and a day of really being mekabal the Torah. Which really leads us to why are we eating and drinking the whole time? And why are we really drinking? Or why are some men really, really drinking the whole time? Doesn't that seem to be almost ridiculously inappropriate? Once we frame the day as this, this kind of a day, why is this what's going on? The answer is that Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur isn't real. It's almost like an artificial day. We never fast for 24 hours. We wear shoes. You know, all those things that, are, that, that happen that we do on Yom Kippur, that's not, that's not real life. That's not what real life is all about. So yes, we go and we dive into Hashem and we connect to Hashem. And we get our mechila, we get our kapara on that day of Yom Kippur. But it's that day of Yira. It's that day where we operate out of our Yiras Hashem, where we operate out of, we, we have this very intense feeling of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in our lives. Purim is a day we're, we're just regular. We're just human. Which is what the scene on Purim was. The scene on Purim was just real life. But it was real life with that strong feeling of Hashem being there. So on Purim, we eat, we drink, we have a good time. That's what being human is all about. But we use those things in order to get us closer to Hashem. We utilize the eating, the drinking, to bring us closer to Hashem, to feel connected to Hashem. The idea of people drinking and getting drunk on Purim, which to, to many seems very inappropriate. So this is something, this is a practice, it's a big machlokas in Klal Yisrael, how exactly Purim is supposed to be done, how much you're supposed to drink, how much you're not. The idea of drinking to the point of, of, of being really drunk is something that was done by great gedolim, great sages, great Rosh Yeshiva, nowadays and throughout our history. It's not something that the uninitiated should just attempt on their own. Because most people, when they get drunk, they, they, well, they don't necessarily act right. What a person is able to do 
if they get drunk right, is they're able to strip away all of those outer layers of the sort of, you know, we have to present ourselves in a certain way in society and everybody's very careful with their image. And as a result of that, you're not really who you are. Your real you never really comes out. Your real you is buried deep inside. Purim was a day in which that Moda'a Rabbala Araisa, where we initially were told, we initially when we accepted the Torah, it wasn't 100% acceptance. We were able to say like, that wasn't me talking. That was like that guy that got blown away at Har Sinai. That was him talking. I didn't really accept the Torah. The rest of us didn't accept the Torah. That was, that was a crazy scene. We were out of our minds. Purim is a day in which we say, no, that was the me that accepted the Torah. That was the real me. So on Purim, we try to get down to the real us. It's the real us accepting the Torah. It's the real us getting close to Hashem. So it's eating and it's drinking. And for some people, it's drinking to the point where the real them, that real person who they are inside, without all of the, you know, all, all of the, the, uh, the sort of the, the, the protections we put up to protect ourselves from what other people might think of us, without all of those image makers that we have in front of us, it's where that person can come out. That's the avoda. That's the that's the that's that's the real uh, kedusha that could be found in the the drinking that happens on Purim. So Purim is a day where yes, we eat and drink and we're merry and we have a great old time. Why? Because we're real people, but we're real people who are connecting to Hashem in that Yom Kippur way, but not in that almost artificial Yom Kippur way. But we're connecting in that real way. We really are who we are. And in that way, we have the Shoshanis Yaakov, Tzaholov Asamecha. We have that flower of Yaakov, that one who does tshuva, the one who gets that kapara, even here in Golos, can be so happy, Barosam Yachad, when we see together that Techelis Mordechai, when we see together that Techelis of, of Mordechai, that, that Malchus, that Mordechai, the, the forgiveness, the presence of Hashem, that Mordechai was able to feel on himself and about himself. And that's really what the celebration of Purim is all about. So Purim is like Yom, Ki- Yom Kippur, I'm sorry, is like Purim. Purim is an even higher madrega. It's a harder madrega to reach because it's hard to connect to Hashem through all the busyness, partying, matana, you know, Mishalach Manas, etc., etc. You know, we, we get so bogged down in, in what's being done. But we should really take time to make sure that what the day is really about, about that tefillah, about that tshuva, about connecting to HaGadosh Baruch Hu, we have to make sure that that really happens because that's what Purim is all about. It's the real Yom Kippur. It's, Yom Kippur is only like Purim, but Purim, Purim could be the ultimate.